Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel, to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity, and please feel free to share this with others who you know will find it of interest. Today, I'm really thrilled to have a very important topic, and it's going to become more important as the weeks and months uh, pass, getting closer to November. Presidential campaign, as we know, is in full string, swing, excuse me, the uh, New Hampshire primary just took place and seems very clear that we're narrowing in on two candidates that probably will be determined sooner than later. Uh, and on having a conversation tonight about what the implications are of the presidential campaign against Israel's war uh, against Hamas. I have two really noted great uh, colleagues and panelists with me today. John Haller is a lawyer, journalist, a teacher, and a pastor. As a lawyer, he has significant trial and business law experience, including complex commercial litigation, securities litigation, contracts, covenants, not to compete, banking, real estate, and white collar criminal defense. At Fellowship Bible Chapel in Ohio, John is a popular YouTube, has popular YouTube and Rumble channels discussing how Bible prophecy relates to current events, geopolitics, and specifically Israel. John has hosted me a number of times on his program, and I'm really thrilled to have you, John, here with us today as my guest. Jonathan Tobin is the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, JNS.org, and a senior contributor for The Federalist, as well as top columnist for Newsweek, Israel Hayom, and writing for many other publications. He is also the host of the JNS uh, video and podcast series, Top Story, and Top Story Daily, which are both heard on all major audio platforms, as well as on YouTube. Previous to this, he was the editor at Commentary Magazine, as well as for weekly Jewish newspapers. He has won more than 60 awards for his commentary, arts criticism, and other writings, and appears regularly on television commenting on politics and foreign policy. John and Jonathan, I'm thrilled to have you. Welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. So today, I think it makes sense to begin with with the elephant that's not quite in the room. Uh, We've got two parties. We've got two major contendants in the Republican Party uh, still still vying for office uh, for for the nomination. And of course, uh, an incumbent uh, Democratic president who we'll get to. And probably it's intuitive that most of this conversation is going to focus around President Biden and his administration, not just because uh, he's the incumbent, but he's also running for re-election and how he runs is going to be <coughs> significant. But before that, I'd like to talk about the Republicans. 
And I'm wondering, and uh, either of you jump in, this is going to be a very open conversation. Does it matter with with, uh, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley as the two uh, candidates and Nikki Haley, a solid number two in a campaign of two, does it matter how they campaign in terms of Israel and, and how that relates to carrying out the war? And will it impact anything, even if the war goes on for some months past the November election? Well, I would say um, there are real no no real differences between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley on Israel. They're both strong supporters of Israel. Uh, Nikki Haley, um, you know, got her only foreign policy experience at the UN, where she was a strong supporter of uh, you know represent you know in the Trump administration and was a strong supporter of Israel. She has a lot of pro-Israel money and uh, sort of. Uh, former establishment Republicans who are very uh, supportive of Israel behind her. And Donald Trump, you know, he has a record. You know, it's not a question of what his um, leanings are. You know, he has a record. And quite frankly, he was the most pro-Israel president we have ever had. So there's no debate within the Republicans on Israel, or at least not not to any great extent. And, you know, I should should add, um, you know, we're sort of uh, including Nikki Haley. She's still in the race. She can she's got the money to continue to be in the race for a while. So the the um, putative notion that she could actually win uh, must be respected in principle. But she is not going to be the nominee. Donald Trump um, is going to be the Republican nominee for president. There is about as little you know, short of an act of God. Um, nothing will prevent him from winning the nomination. So, um, you know, including Nikki Haley in that. Now, the only problem with Trump um, is that there are people within his circle, and I would most notably say Tucker Carlson, um, the former Fox News host. He's now has his own show on X, formerly known as Twitter. Tucker Carlson is no friend of Israel. He's been much more open about his hostility to Israel since he was booted off Fox last year. Um, and I think it's reasonable for people to ask, does he have Trump's ear on Israel? But the truth is, I don't think that's so. Um, you know, he was close to Trump during the Trump presidency, and Trump did nothing that he wanted on the Middle East. You know, he was opposed to Trump's, you know, uh, tough stand on Iran, never mind his uh, pro-Israel policy. So it's not clear to me that Tucker Carlson has the juice within the uh, the uh, tr- circus that is the uh, Trump inner circle to actually implement things. I think Trump likes him because he's a celebrity and because he sucks up to him like anybody else who was in Trump's inner circle. But so there is that element, uh, you know, people like Candace Owens. There, There is an element of the conservative commentariat that is uh, hostile to Israel, bordering sometimes on anti-Semitism. But the overwhelming, you know, the overwhelming majority of Republicans, I think you know the thing we have to understand, um, and this is a point to place it all in perspective, is that the two parties have basically switched, swapped identities in the last sixty years on Israel. If we were, you know, more than a half century ago, the Republicans were the the party that was so so on Israel, divided between sort of an establishment that was either hostile or indifferent, and you know a, a minority that was actively pro-Israel. The Democrats were the lockstep pro-Israel party. That's completely changed. Now the Republicans are the lockstep pro-Israel party. Almost no Republicans in office are are anything but ardent supporters of Israel, whereas the Democrats are now deeply divided. And we will get to the Democrats later, as you you say. They're deeply divided about Israel with a sort of an establishment pro-Israel 
uh, faction that is nominally in charge, but all the juice, all the activism, all the energy is with an anti-Israel intersectional left. Thank you, Jonathan. John, so there was something you were saying right before we started the program, uh, and I don't remember what it was, but it kind of segues to where I wanted to pick up on this, uh, on the point that Jonathan just made uh, regarding does it matter how Nikki Haley and Trump, but but Trump as candidate uh, will will be campaigning. But if there are people like uh, like Candace Owens, like Tucker Carlson, like other uh, people to more the extreme right, um, d- is there a right wing of the Republican Party that Trump as candidate will need to listen to in some capacity like Biden might have to vis-a-vis the extreme left in the Democratic Party? My observation, look, I'm a conservative Christian evangelical, so that's my perspective. Uh, but I do, I do live in the real world. So my observation, and I was on a podcast yesterday where this actually came up uh, with a former IDF tank commander, and my observation is that there's a there's a split on the right, uh, if you want to call it the far right or whatever it. It, and I, Jonathan is is right to point out Candace Owens and Tucker Carlson, who I think have been very clever in the way they have sort of shown their disdain for Israel's interest by not necessarily saying it overtly themselves, but by interviewing people who are clearly anti-Semitic and not really challenging them. Um, you know, as I think one commentator I heard said, you know, that, that I don't know if they're anti-Semitic, but they sure spend a lot of time interviewing anti-Semitic people. And that's, this has been my observation too. So, uh, and, and this is, this is very concerning. So my own observation of the Trump campaign thus far is that the Israel issue has not been uh, front and center, even though there's a war. Uh, Trump did say, I think after he won the New Hampshire primary yesterday that, uh, you know, well, I'll get Ukraine and Israel problems. I'll I'll solve those really fast. But there was no specifics. So there's so on what I would call the Tucker Carlson wing, and then there are people even further to the right of Tucker. They sort of take their America first ideas, and it becomes America only. So they're they're not really concerned about it, you know. And so there is, I mean, and even on some podcasts from the right, big Trump supporters. When October 7th happened, within a day, those podcasts were saying stuff like, oh, well, look, here we go with another war started by the neocons and Zionists. Interesting. And that was very, very troubling to me. So I think the the way that Trump has approached this thus, thus far is to be a bit ambiguous on the issue. Now, we, we know what he did. We know his track record. We know the move of the embassy to Israel, the declaration about the Golan Heights. Uh, but there were many in the Christian right, what you would call the Christian Zionist right, of which I would consider myself a part, that were concerned four years ago when Trump introduced his vision for peace plan yeah. put together by Jared, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And that was rolled out just almost exactly four years ago. Um, that That clearly called for the creation of a Palestinian state. So I think in the background of of support for Trump that on the pro-Israel Christian right, there's a concern that it, it, the Palestinian state thing right now makes no sense at all. It just, I mean, I'm looking at it 
I've talked to you about it. I've talked to a lot of people in Israel about it. It just does not make any sense. It, it, I don't see how anyone can think that it's a rational way to go. And so when I hear Trump say, I'll solve the problem, I don't know what he means by that. Okay. About a month Neither ago. Neither does he. I know. <laughs> I don't think he knows. He's just he's just saying he'll solve the problems. And right. you know, partly that's just Trump, you know, if you don't mind me jumping in, that's partly just typical Trump, you know, bravado. That's how he approaches everything. I'll make everything better. I can solve problems. I'm a problem solver. It's also an expression of his idea, well, I'm going to be strong in the Middle East. I'm going to reverse Biden's policies. And the sort of, uh, as the Soviets would have said, the correlation of forces will be different. And he's probably right about that. And, um, you know, it's it's also true. I mean, I I think you made it you made it interesting, you know, sort of who, who has the power to sort of influence him, you know, the way you set this up, Jonathan. And the truth is, nobody has the power to influence Donald Trump except Donald Trump. Now, it's true in the last administration, uh, Jared Kushner had a lot of juice and a lot of influence on a lot of things. J-U-I-C-E, we need to. (laughs) Yes, yes, you know, to use the political uh, term. Um, Jared's not going to be part of the next administration. And uh, conservatives um, on a lot of on a lot of issues are happy about that. as to who will staff it, we, you know, who who knows? I mean, we we, we don't we don't know what the, you know. This is pure conjecture. We're a long way from from November, let alone a putative Trump admini- second Trump administration. So so by by May June we're full swing into a if not before a, a two two candidates two parties Trump and Biden and we're and 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 very likely still some form of war going on here. Uh, certainly Israel's not withdrawn from Gaza. Uh, completely. And that means if we're not withdrawn, that means we're still fighting people. Uh, where, how does that leave the campaign? How do what where where's the Trump Biden uh, uh, battle vis-a-vis Israel and, and, and the continuation of the war? You know, the, the interesting, you know, there's kind of basic principles here. American elections are not, as a rule, generally decided or even deeply influenced by foreign policy. Because most Americans don't care about foreign policy. Correct. You know, America, we, we live in a country that, you know, our, our national defense is a function of oceans and continents, not, uh, you know, narrow lines as, as Israel must must face. And, uh, you know, Americans don't speak foreign languages unless they were grew up with a foreign language. Sure. They want to stay out. Now, to the extent that foreign policy will play a role in this in this election, it's not going to be between Trump and, and Biden, who's more pro-Israel? Now, Trump may may score some points if Biden winds up uh, bowing a bit to his left wing, which to date he hasn't. You know, we, we didn't get it. We haven't gotten into the whole dynamic within the Democratic Party because Biden is in a real bind. The left wing activist wing of his party is very much against his policies of support of Israel. It's why he's been talking out of both sides of his mouth during right. the war. Um, sticking to his great credit, I might add, sticking to a position of support for Israel and support even for the principle of eradicating Hamas, but at the same time doing everything to try and hamstring Israel from prosecuting it the war more more vigorously and um, trying to get it over with as soon as possible because it's causing him enormous political problems. There's a general revolt within his own administration. Everybody below the... Uh, undersecretary level is basically an anti-Israel activist. That's Democratic staffers throughout his administration in Congress. 
um, all the activist wing. And also, you know, just to put it, uh, not, not too fine a point on it, Michigan is up for grabs. So that's what I was going to go, right. Arab American voters who went out in droves for, for Biden against the pro-Israel Trump have been completely disillusioned with Biden's support for Israel. And uh, I mean, it's not clear the where that he'll get that back. I mean, you know, you sort of young left-wing voters, the woke, um, are are adamantly opposed. You know, as, as much as I think many in the pro-Israel community want Biden to do more and want Biden to stop uh, pressuring Israel, pressuring Israel's government, uh, he's under enormous pressure uh, within his own party to back away from Israel, to abandon Israel, to yeah. make this go away. Jonathan, when we we did an interview recently together as part of a panel, and you used the phrase which you use now, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, and it's accurate and, it, it, and it's appropriate. But my question is, at what point is the speaking, you know, Biden, Biden and Trump have a lot of similarities as far as saying things that they probably shouldn't or don't and or don't necessarily. You mean they tend to, to say, huh? Yeah. They tend to fib. Oh, yes. fib or or just say things that are that are silly. And and so when when Biden came out a few weeks ago and and talked about Israel's indiscriminate bombing, he knew Israel wasn't indiscriminately bombing. It was a stu- I don't know if it was calculated or if it was stupid. But my question is, uh, wh- where do we see the speaking out of both sides of his mouth um, and and affect policy? Because the one thing you didn't mention, for instance, is the U.S. has yet to do what Obama did which is cut off supplies of weapons. Absolutely. At That's what the point, key point. Right. They haven't so what, done it to. At what point do we see speaking out of both sides of the side of his mouth, but still sending the 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 weapons that are needed and, and, and winking uh, over at Netanyahu, even though we can't stand Netanyahu? Somewhat to my surprise, and I'll admit I'm somewhat surprised. And, and you listen, uh, I, I was asked on another podcast uh, recently, how do I grade Biden on Israel? And I said, if we were speaking... Before October 7th, I would have given him a D minus or an F. Okay. After October 7th, I give him a C, C plus. Um, because everything he did before October 7th set up October 7th in terms of strengthening right. Iran, right. Um, undermining the Saudis, strengthening the Houthis, you know, the whole deal, appeasing Hezbollah in, in Lebanon. Since October 7th, he has stuck to his principles, at least on the broad strokes, and he has not cut off the, the flow of arms to Israel, which is vitally important. Um, I, you know, we're now, we're speaking in January. We're, we're over, what, 110 days since the start of the war. To date, he hasn't cut off arms. I'm not clear if that he's going to. And I, I that, as I say, is greatly to his credit. I'm not sure that he will. If he does, Trump will pounce on him. That you can count on. But other I than wouldn't... that... Any foreign policy debate about in the 2024 election is not going to be about Israel. It's going to be, be about Ukraine and okay. the massive Biden okay. commitment to Ukraine, which is broadly unpopular, certainly within the Republican Party, not right. within the, the, you know, the sort of the Republican establishment in Washington. But Republican voters do not think that spending another $150 billion a year on, on a war that truly is unwinnable and is a stalemate in Ukraine is a great idea. Friends. Israel's at war, and the war may get worse before it gets better, much worse. It's going to be a long war because the enemy is the epitome of evil. It's not just a matter of overcoming troops on a battlefield, but overcoming a theology, an ideology, an evil one. 
while the Genesis 123 Foundation has been overwhelmed with the support of so many donations to the Israel emergency campaign, there's so much more that needs to be done. We've invested your donations that we've received so far strategically to make the biggest impact possible, whether helping with soldiers and their equipment and personal needs, to providing civilian security for outlying border communities, to relocating and settling several families from near the Gaza war zone, launching the global petition drive to support Israel in the face of pressure for a ceasefire and long-term needs for at-risk children, traumatized now more than ever before. Please take a moment to pause this conversation right now and go to love.genesis123.co and donate generously. We value your trust and we will keep all donors informed about how and where your donations are being used to contribute to make the biggest impact possible. And when you use that link, love.genesis123.co, you can also send your prayers and words of encouragement to Israelis of all backgrounds, just sending your love, something that we need so desperately. Thank you, and God bless you and your loved ones. John, you were about to jump in? Yeah, well, I would agree with him that, you know, if, if Biden really feels that he's in trouble and has to play to his left, the anti-Israel left, uh, Jonathan was right to note, the state just north of where I live, Michigan, which has a huge uh, Muslim Arab population, uh, that he he will, that issue will come more to the forefront. Trump, Trump will pounce on that and say, you know, we'll, we'll be strong. And the concern on the right is that you know, America is not strong. We've sent so much to Ukraine in terms of weapons and that type of thing. Now, some of it's old technology, but some of it's, you know, shells and ammunition and weapons, and and we're depleting ourselves and we're not replenishing it. And I think this is going to play out as well within Israel, that there's not going to be the weapons stock that's needed, for example, if Israel decides that it's necessary to open a front in Lebanon. This is this is a very very difficult situation in which Israel finds itself right now. So I I think on the right, most people that are pro-Israel will uh, see the massive problems that are facing Israel. Uh, and but to back up for a second, Jonathan is exactly right. Americans don't usually vote on foreign policy. I remember Ronald Reagan, of course, you know, get the commies and and take down the Soviet Union. And that sort of won the day. But, you know, people like James Baker, I don't think were any friends of Israel uh, in the foreign policy. So the foreign policy establishment has long been anti-Israel. So I see a synergy between the policies of Obama. I jokingly refer to the administration as the Biden administration, that this is the third Obama term because it's the same people. It's the same people in the State Department. Uh, that are doing the same things that they did during the first two Obama administrations. And I'm concerned that if the foreign policy establishment, which is making policy that manifests itself on the ground, is clearly no friend of Israel or what Israel really needs. And so the, the question Israel's going to have is, you know, do we do we need the American, you know, at what point do we just break with the American support and take care of ourselves? Okay. Well, uh, can I, can I, I just jump in? discussed somewhat. One thing, you're absolutely right about the foreign policy establishment in this country 
being hostile to Israel um, or deeply critical at best, the, sort of the Tom Friedman wing of the foreign policy establishment. The one thing we know, you know, we don't know much about what a second Trump administration would be if we're going to sort of float, you know, scenarios. The one thing we do know about it is that unlike the first Trump administration, in which sort of there were a lot, there were still a lot of establishment people, especially at the beginning, establishment Republicans um, taking, you know, leadership roles. The next Trump administration will be, shall we say, more seriously conservative. It will be at war with the administrative state um, and at war with the establishment in every respect, including the foreign policy establishment. So that is, you know, the, the, the old Arabist wing will have no, will, you know, Tucker Carlson may be trying to, you know, and people of that ilk may be trying to, you know, wink, you know wrinkle their way, wrinkle, worm their way into some influence. I'm not sure whether they actually can. But the old foreign po- the foreign policy establishment and even its sort of business uh, wings, people like Rex Tillerson and sort of the military uh, version of that, like people like James Mattis, who had, you know, cabinet roles at the beginning of the Trump administration. They're not getting those kind of people are not getting jobs in the next Trump administration. As, as we've seen through all the plans that sort of the uh, conservatives, people at Heritage and others who have been planning for what it will be when the Republicans next take power. Those those guys are out of luck. Okay. Yeah, Thank I think you. that I think among what I would call sort of mega media, you know, in the various Rumble and Telegram channels, you know, there is a plan, and I think Heritage may be in, involved in this, is the to really neuter the administrative state. I mean, because absolutely, this is, I've written this, about it myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they almost have to. I've I've advocated that they sort of take the administrative state and put them in big warehouses, pay them, you know, get your salary, but here, put yourself on civil, in this There's bed. going to be civil service reform. There's, there's not going to be a powerful, I mean, the administrative state will be severely cut back in the next Republican right. administration because what happened during the first Trump administration was that as much as Trump got some things he wanted done, you know, for all the talk about him being an authoritarian, he got very little done, largely because he was, uh, you know, he was uh, hampered. He was largely obstructed by the people that work in the federal government. Um, okay. I, I'm, now, Democrats say these plans are signs of authoritarianism. Republicans say, no, this is democracy. That's you know, right. the, the administrative state is not going to rule this country if we get in power again. Okay. And, um, and so what, what happened at the end of the Obama administration, Jonathan, was that, you know, there were 35, I'll just use that. I think the number is about 3,500 political appointees that were uh, shoved into civil service protected jobs throughout the administrative state. And it, and Jonathan Tobin is exactly correct. It really undermined Trump at every turn. Everything he tried to do was undermined. Okay. So that's. So, so uh, we're, we're talking about a year, we're talking about potentially a year from now, January of 25, when a candidate Trump might become the next president when and and be uh, inaugurated a year from now. Hopefully, we're not in an active state of war here, but that yet still is is to be determined. I like to bring the conversation. The question back. may be whether we'll be in an active state of war here in the United States well, if Trump wins. <laughs> okay, well, because okay. I, I, I tremble for the republic. J- I tremble Jonathan for the republic no matter who wins, uh, because quite frankly, I'm not sure that either side. We'll take it lying down. And certainly I see no signs that the Democrats will take it lying down if Trump uh, 
if Trump wins. So we'll see what happens. And in that respect, Trump's sort of bravado and everything, a lot of people on the right view him as almost a stand and a proxy, if you will, for what the left would do to us if they got power. And the lawfare, the the some of these ridiculous lawsuits, and I'm a lawyer, these are egregiously unfounded lawsuits that have been launched against Trump on many in, in criminal charges. And it's but they they just they move forward with these, even as ridiculous as they are. And there there is a concerted effort to create narratives uh, that don't really comport with reality. And it's and I agree with Jonathan 100 percent that I am concerned about civil war. And, and I can tell you that just traveling around and speaking in some different conferences, people are they've had it. They've really had it. And so how does that how does that play out? And we see, you know, in our major cities with the immigration thing that's going on, the life in major cities is just being destroyed. Uh, I, I, I want to bring the conversation immigration. back to the war that is actually happening here. Yes. Yes. Sure. Sorry, for, <laughs> sorry for jumping ahead to a, a next possible war. God forbid that. God forbid next. We'll have you war. back on uh, on November. I don't know what's the election day. The 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 the, the first uh, Wednesday. I think after it's the November first Monday of November. And we have 360 have, days until the new administration. There we takes go. So maybe place. that's maybe there's a Jewish thing in there with 360 being <laughs> divisible by uh, by 18. Um, we we've been speaking about Michigan, right? Michigan has 15 electoral votes, and that makes it a swing state. It, whether people are going to suddenly line up to vote for Trump in a, what's typically a blue state, or or people don't show up, or they write in uh, they write in whomever they write in Jonathan Tobin. Um, as, okay, well, well, whomever. But the point being is that, that f- those 15 uh, electoral votes could could swing the national election. So my question is now we're in May, we're in June, we're, we're, we're approaching the, uh, uh, the, 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 the party. Oh, I just lost the phrase. That's what you get when you're in Israel for 20 years. The, 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 the not the caucuses. Um, primaries. No, not the primaries. The conventions. The conventions, the conventions are you. coming up. Yeah. The conventions. And and so we're actively campaigning a Trump versus a Biden. What's what again, we're assuming we're still here in some kind of state of war, whether it's Hamas, whether it's Hamas and Hezbollah or or or, or, or Iran. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. What's it going to take for a Biden who's OK, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but has been uh, has not yet cut off the, the arms. What's it going to take for Biden to have a, a Hail Mary and say, I'm not losing Michigan at any cost? Well, the problem with that scenario, and you know, uh, however much uh, Biden is in control or you know is 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 aware of everything going on, we can debate about that. Um, he and his staff, he and his inner circle, understand that if he does what his left wing wants him to do, what the sort of Arab American voters in Michigan, what the left wing voters in deep blue enclaves around the country want him to do, basically betrays Israel cuts off the flow of arms, does something to really do damage and to sort of appease his left wing. That is not without political consequences in the United States, never mind what it would do to Israel, because centrist and moderate voters don't want him to betray Israel. Um, You know, don't believe everything you read in the New York Times and the Washington Post or here on CNN and MSNBC. The vast majority of Americans 
certainly almost all Republicans, but the vast majority of Americans still support Israel. Abandoning Israel to its, you know, to, you know, to face enemies on its own would be deeply unpopular. It would, it would cause more trouble. I mean, as much as he rightly worries about the, about, you know, his uh, activist base, uh, their lack of enthusiasm. Um, there's a general lack of enthusiasm for him throughout most Democratic voters because, you know, he's, he's been deep underwater in terms of popularity and effectiveness. But it would cost him dearly. And perhaps that is why, as well as any lingering sort of principle, I mean, he's always been someone who has said that he loves Israel, although in practice that usually meant he loves Israel whenever Israel does what he tells it to do, both <laughs> dating back to when he was a senator um, to, 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 to today. Um, you know, if he were to betray that, that would not be good politics. And that's part of the reason why he won't do it. So I, 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 you know, I, I, after October 7th, I was wondering and indeed wondering in print, how long will Biden stay the course? Well, after 110 days, it's almost too late for him to turn back because the damage has already been done. And if he were to betray Israel now, um, the consequences politically would be as great, if not greater, than any damage his left wing can do to him. So, so let me just take pick another state. Florida has a large, a large Jewish population. Um, is would, would Florida revolt? He has. He's not going to go. He's not going to win Florida. He's Get not going to win Florida anyway. Okay. Florida is a red state now. Okay. And the Jews there are increasingly Republican. Okay. Um, you know that it's not just Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, and not just all the talk about the free state of Florida because they had different COVID experiences, um, although that is part of the reason why they've expanded their population incredibly. Um, you know, Florida is not in play. Is there fact, is there another state that's in play when you're talking about where, Jew, it, where the Jewish of, vote might have well, a wait, well, small uh, because, role? Because I can give you one. Evangelical Christians are not voting for Biden mm-hmm. probably anyway. So, right. so where is the where is the there's one state. It's Outcome. where I'm sitting right now. Where Pennsylvania. are you sitting? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a state where the Jewish community would, you know, would be you know, where Jewish Democrats would be influenced against Biden for that. And we have the interesting example of our, of our, our, our junior senator, uh, John, Fe- you know, uh, Fetterman. Yeah. Who yeah. was reviled for like basically, you know, being unqualified and, you know, having, you know, suffered a stroke. And not being seemingly unable to do his job, but as he's regained his faculties, he's gone way to the center um, on lots of issues, not the least of which is his open support for Israel. And he would get, you know, he would he would be among the people bashing Biden. So, yeah, I mean, quite frankly, Biden's in trouble in Pennsylvania, as he is in every swing state throughout you know, Rust Belt. Um, you know, he's he's in deep trouble across the board in, in his polls in state by state, nationally. Um, it's it, Democrats are right to worry. Um, we're a long way. There's no no reason for any Trump, uh, op, you know, triumphalism. Who knows what will happen between now and then? Some black swan event, some some anything. But he is in trouble in Pennsylvania. And as a centrist state, as a state that is still purple, where it could go either way. Um, I think um, he would lose both working class and sort of um, Christian voters as well as Jewish voters. So, yeah, Pennsylvania is a state that he could lose by betraying Israel.
Okay. John, you want to chime in on that? Well, yeah, I, mean, I live in Ohio you and, you know, okay. Ohio has also. been kind of bounced back and forth and I'm not, I'm not sure what's going to happen in Ohio. I mean, we have, you know, two thirds majority, over two thirds, 70% majorities in both houses of our state legislature, Republican governor, sort of a Republican governor. And, um, but it's changing. I, you know, they're, the thing that I mentioned immigration, I don't want to focus on that, but I think if Trump can tie the concerns about immigration to Israel's problems, that I think is a big winning issue because the, the immigration thing is just so out of control. And if there is, as Jonathan mentioned, a black swan event or a terrorist attack or something like that, that will be a complete, in my view, a game changer that would cement support for Trump uh, and even bring people from the the Democratic Party, the center, the in the independence over towards the Trump camp. Whether they like Trump or not, they don't like what Biden has allowed to happen. So it, it would only take one or two of those events. That what, what am I what am I missing, John, talking about you're you're, you're comparing Israel situation with the immigration. well, it would be other, the, other than it, the fact that our border it was impeached. Well, but the the terrorism that would come with the ideology that's attacking Israel right now, if the if an attack happens in the United States of the same ideology, Muslim ideology, okay, for like Hamas, and that that's a real concern. I mean, if if you've seen these people coming over the border, the thousands thousands every day, I just think that. Trump could tie that, but look, look at what Israel, Israel didn't take the threat seriously. And they ended up in this problem. We're not going to allow that here. And we're going to help out our friends, Israel, uh, through this, through this time, because we're going to, we're facing it ourselves. You know, and this Democrats, is how it's going to be dealt with as a sort of as a matter of strength, a show of strength. Okay. If, if I can, if I can just jump in on that for a moment. You know, Democrats tend to downplay uh, immigration as an issue, and they poo-poo. They they say it's just you know when if they were to hear what what John just said about the threat of terrorism because of the porous border, they would say, "Oh, you're an alarmist. You're crazy. Whatever." I don't know that that there is going. You know, although there certainly have been instances, Trump has spoken about it, and you know, people on the left, you know, their heads blow up when he says it. Um, I don't know that there's going to be, you know, God forbid, you know, a terrorist incident because of the porous border. But people on the left and Democrats vastly underestimate, indeed, people abroad vastly underestimate the importance of the immigration issue in this in this election. The spectacle of an open border of millions of illegal immigrants pouring into this country since Biden became president. You know, the population, you know, population of New York has has arrived here. Since he was, uh, since he was, uh, you know, since he was elected, wow. and um, the 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 over, you know, the humanitarian crisis it created in border communities, and now in you know urban centers in the in, in the Northeast and and elsewhere in Chicago, as the immigrants arrive there, whether bus there by Republican governors or going there on their own, it's it's an enormous problem, and people people who look on from abroad you know in the united states don't un, don't understand how serious this issue is and what a, a real problem it is for biden um he's only belatedly started to wake up to it and even so i don't think he really has has any conception of how to uh, to stem uh, to to deal with it because ideologically the democrats are quite frankly an open borders party right now 
The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the Miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Jonathan, when I hear friends of mine telling stories, story after story, that they're flying back through Tucson or Phoenix or L.A., and two-thirds of the flights are full of immigrants that have no names on their papers, that go through security unchecked, and that type of thing. And nobody knows where they go after they land. I mean, this is – it is – it, it's hard to wrap my head around what is actually happening here. So I think some way to tie the issue with Israel security and border and sanctity of their border to what's going on in the United States, I think is a way for Trump to maybe to push the issue forward. It well, is a huge that, issue. That's true. But let, let me just, you know, let's put this in perspective. And I, I think, you know, John and I both agree about this. This election is not going to be won or lost on Israel, um, except perhaps, you know, with Biden losing some of the, uh, you know, the enthusiasm of his own party. It's going to be won or lost on domestic issues, it's, as is almost always the case in, in, in the case uh, okay. on, other than if there was war. So people who care about Israel, you know, we're always, I count my saying, you know, we're always looking for how is Israel impacting this? Um, you know, uh, this is not going to, you know, Biden's support for Israel is not going to cost him, you know, is not going to win him the election. It probably wouldn't cost him the election if everything else were equal. Um, you know, it, it certainly is an indication of the tension within the Democratic Party um, that is part of his broader problem. Jonathan, let me ask you, it's 70%, typically 80% of American Jews vote for vote the Democratic Party. That's 70. Biden, 70. Okay, so if Biden were to somehow uh, betray Israel, cut off weapons, push the two-state solution, enforce, try to enforce a ceasefire, not abstain from a UN Security Council resolution or some other such thing, will Biden lose support significantly of American Jews? And will that matter? No. <laughs> no and no. Okay. Um, you know, that, that, that sounds counterintuitive for somebody who cares about Israel, but Let's be honest. Jewish Democrats are not voting for Trump. The overwhelming majority of them are not voting for Trump, not if Joe Biden, you know, declares war on it. You know, short of and even if he declared war on Israel, they wouldn't vote for Trump. Um, most American Jews, you know, the, the Jews who vote for the Democrats, who are overwhelmingly liberal, 
And that's anywhere from 60 to 70, 75, depending on the circumstance, percent of the uh, the Jewish electorate. Israel isn't a litmus test issue for them. You know, Israel is a litmus test issue for the 25 to 30 to 35 percent of Jews who vote for the Republicans, whether they're because they are orthodox and therefore more likely to to care more deeply about Israel or because they're politically conservative and they identify more with Israel. Um, so if you're, you know, the, 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 the basement for Biden's Jewish support is probably 55, 60%, um, no matter what he did. Now, a few votes here and there, you know, it could, you know, a, a few thousand votes could cost him, you know, Pennsylvania, which may be the only state where there's a sizable Jewish population where, which is truly a battleground state. I don't think Florida is a battleground state anymore, um, despite John's um, sort of pessimism about the Republicans. I'm not sure that Ohio is really either. It's a pretty red state. Um, so, you know, the Jews are going to vote for the Democrats no matter what, no matter what they do. It's a source of great frustration for Republicans, especially for Jewish Republicans who have been chasing after that magic, that you know, the silver bullet that's going to somehow wake Jews up to to vote their interests. Trump himself is, you know, very frustrated about it when he, 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 you know, you push that button, he starts talking about why are they voting against me? I'm the most pro-Israel person. They're voting against Israel. They vote because they're liberals, They're because they're politically liberals and they're Democrats. And political liberals and Democrats hate Trump. They hate Republicans in general. They wouldn't vote for Nikki Haley either, let's be honest, or, or anybody else. You know, you can name them. You know, even people like DeSantis or Haley who have really strong records on Israel and who have strong bases of, you know, a lot of Jewish supporters. Um, so the Jewish vote is, you know, it, it's a perennial topic for the Jewish press, but it's never really in play. Not that much. And, and, and the Jews, and, and if Jews were to stay home and not vote for Biden, as, as is concerned about in Michigan with the Arabs, there's not a state in which that makes an influence because New York and New Jersey and California uh, are are, are going to be democratic anyway? Yeah, listen. If Jews are staying home out of disillusionment with Biden, it's because they're they're left wingers, and they don't like and they okay. think Biden is not left wing enough. Um, if if that's happening, then you know his ship is sinking, regardless of what's going on with Israel. All right, John, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, well, I I just think that uh, you know the. The Republicans need to to push the you know the the narrative about what the Biden administration is actually doing vis-a-vis Israel. I just think that that's a a good issue for them. Uh, now that it's coming from somebody who supports Israel is very concerned about what's going on. But the ultimate bo- bottom line here is this is an incredibly divided country right now, and it's almost fifty fifty in many many of the states. Um, you know, it's 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 relatively shocking. I mean, we had a recent ballot issue that used to be a Republican winner issue. And in my county, uh, which is a red county, 67 percent voted not the traditional Republic way in, a, in an election just uh, two months ago. So I I'm I'm a little bit pessimistic, but I think Ohio will hang in there. A lot of it depends on how many votes they're able to to bring out of all the the blue areas of ohio i mean you know when we when we talk about the division of america we talk about blue and red and the blue is usually either on the coast or in urban areas in the center 
Uh, that's where most of it comes from. So it's it's a very interesting division. But okay. you get outside of the urban areas, and it's pretty much a red country. So Everybody so let me goes. ask you let me ask you a question. In addition to the president, everyone's got their eyes on the White House and who's going to be sitting there uh, a year from literally a year from now. Um, we also have uh, a third of the Senate, all of the House, and I don't know how many governors up for re-election. How if how if at all does Israel play in any of those elections uh, when it's when it, we're talking about in the districts in these divided states that you're referring to, John? Uh, I would say, you know, in most <laughs> the way the the uh, the districts have been created, uh, they're pretty much, I would say, I don't know, Jonathan, maybe disagree. Eighty percent of them are safe seats for either a for Democrat sure. or that, Republican. That might be a little conservative. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I, I wanted to say 90 percent. Although I should say. There are more competitive seats than perhaps there were several years ago. You know, reapportionment has changed that. There'll be another round of reapportionment because of lawsuits in places like New York, which will make perhaps less competitive seats. But you're right. I mean, you know, Congress is very evenly divided. You know, we are in a bifurcated political culture in this country. Um, Israel is a little bit like that, too, of course, Jonathan, Right. Um, you know, we yeah, live in two, a we two li- parties always at, at odds with each other. Yeah, it, it, we, we it's not just the two parties. Um, we are divided, certainly in this country, um, by you know we we watch, listen, read different, completely different sets of media, Correct. and we are further isolated because most people don't you know get their news from social media, and social media you can basically live in a silo and, and, you know, isolate yourselves completely from differing opinions. So that's why most people are sort of angry when confronted by a differing opinion because they're not used to it anymore. That said, um, you know, listen, Congress, the congressional election, um, Republicans seem to be a, are, are more in, in trouble in terms of the House. They have a very narrow majority. Not clear how that's going to play out. There are individual districts where there will be interesting races, uh, sometimes more within primaries. In New York, uh, Jamal Bowman, one of the uh, newer members of the squad, who was a vicious anti-Israel character, Summer Lee in Pittsburgh, um, another Democratic, uh, you know, uh, anti-Israel. They're they're facing, you know, real primary challenges, general election challenges. Illinois Omar, you know, her, her, her seat is not as safe as it might be. Um, and she's certainly facing a very difficult primary challenge from Democrats who don't want such a radical uh, representing them. Um, so there are lots of individual, you know, especially where you have anti-Israel radicals up. But um, Israel is not going to, you know, the, the congressional elections aren't going to be influenced by what's happening in Israel. Um, they will be more more influenced by what happens at the top of the ticket. Certainly, if this turns out to be either a big Republican or a big Democratic year, and right now we're sitting in January, you know, you know, the meters, you know, the the arrows pointing more towards the Republicans right now. The the polls are in in Trump's favor. Um, his his voters are pretty much united behind him. Nikki Haley's continuing candidacy, notwithstanding. And Democrat, you know, there's a distinct lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden. Who knows what will happen between now and November? But the top of the ticket will certainly influence a lot of these races. And uh, that's what's going to determine also individual 
you know, politics is always about, it's not about theoretical candidates versus other theoretical candidates. It's about who's running. Right. You know, the, it's a very good Senate map for Republicans this year. But if they put up a bunch of loser candidates the way they did in 2022, then, you know, they'll lose. Okay. So uh, well, I want to begin to wrap it up. This is fabulous. We could go on for a while. Maybe we'll 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 revisit this in a couple of months and see what's going on. Maybe the war will be done here, more or less. That would be nice. It would be nice. I'm not. I'm not so sure. Uh, they say well, a, a good outcome, shall we say, better than the war be over. Well, but but there are many fronts in the war, and and I, yeah. I'll tell you, having been on the Lebanese border this week, handing out uh, winter jackets to soldiers. From our Israel emergency campaign, I will tell you, not a single soldier I spoke to isn't ready, willing, and able to go into Lebanon because they understand that we that we have a hundred thousand people on the northern border who can't live in their homes, and we can't live uh, our lives with Hezbollah controlling uh, the, the the destiny. And they're ready. Uh, so, but th- th- this actually leads to the question, and there's some questions that are live now, and some that some people said, how does Israel? Let's 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 say Biden continues maybe maybe not doubles down but but continues to go a little more stringent with or without withholding weapons and that's a that would be a big one how does israel withstand that pressure in an electoral season both in the united states and almost inevitably uh that we're going to have an election here in israel this year as well what what is and how does that retroactively impact u.s politics if at all well, I think, you know, um, as difficult as uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's political situation is, and it really couldn't be any more difficult, um, uh, he, he he has shown in the past a willingness to say no to the Americans. Um, and if there is any time that he's going to have to say no, it's when this literally the security, the existential fate of his country is 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 up for grabs. You know, he is not going to, I cannot imagine a scenario under which he will accede uh, to American pressure to allow Hamas to continue in Gaza or in the end um, to accept a situation in the north uh, of the country where, as you say, 100,000, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of refugees in the south and 100,000 Jewish refugees in the north. In the long run, that's not a situation that he or any Israeli prime minister can accept. And, um, who, you know, whoever is in charge of the Israeli government will have to do what is in Israel's interest. And um, it's true. Um, the American president, uh, the administration could cut off arms. Well, I, at this point, I'm not pessimistic about that happening, uh, as I might have been a few months ago. But even if they did, the Israeli, you know, Israel will, will do what it has to do to defend itself. And I would imagine the vast majority of the American people will support its right to defend itself and go on. And again, as I said before, there are more votes to be lost for Biden by betraying Israel than by, you know, um, than by sticking with it. And um, again, as much as this elect, the American election is not going to be decided by Israel, um, that would give an opening to Trump to just drive right through because, you know, he has the bona fides on Israel now. Um, whether or not that will win him a, a single more extra Jewish vote, um, I expect Israel to do what it has to do and to continue to do that, uh, regardless of what um, Biden says. And Biden's, you know, incoherent leadership and 
you know, sort of uh, ambivalence about things just makes it, quite frankly, easier for them to do that. Okay. John? Yeah, I, I would agree. I th- it, Look, I think it's going to be a very, it's going to be a close, crazy, un- we always say unprecedented elections, but this, I think, is unprecedented because of the the issues that are hitting everybody. And there are huge cultural issues in the United States that you know, we we look at what's going on at our major universities with the anti-Israel protest. That that's not going to turn around in nine months before the election, at least with regard to the people that have adopted that. And so, I'm concerned that on I, I sort of view extreme views of sort of a horseshoe that sort of meet at a point, and and so you have the anti-Israel uh anti-war uh, isolationist on the right and you also have the same things and and the left and they eventually merge but i i will tell you i've been very shocked about people on the conservative side some of them who seem to be uh allies on issues that conservatives like with the covid and the lockdowns and that type of thing you know there was a lot of division on that but now some of those people have turned against Israel in a way that is just absolutely uh, shocking to me. Uh, you know, Israel only went into Gaza, one narrative is, because they want to be- build the Ben-Gurion Canal. And this is and that's not going to happen. I mean, there's the, the cost and logistics of that. If you look at how they proposed doing that back in the 60s, it's a ridiculous thing. But it gets so much traction on the extreme edges. And so when I open my Twitter feed, it is a sewer of Jew hatred and anti-Israel screeds. Just, I mean, it's just, you know, may, I, maybe I need to learn how to manage my social media better, but it's unbelievable the things that I see. It's, and so maybe that magnifies the extreme voices beyond what they really are. But I'm, I'm concerned that, uh, particularly on the conservative side, that there's a lot of people who are uh, buying into these narratives. As remarkable and miraculous as Israel is, and its very existence a testimony to God's faithfulness, in many ways, Israel's like most other countries, just as there are parents anywhere who have stronger and weaker parenting abilities, and adults become a product of situations in their lives that they cannot control, making their ability to raise and care for their own children even harder. That's true in Israel as well. The Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is committed and takes the mandate seriously to care for the least of these, our brothers, our children. We're committed to bless and strengthen orphans and at-risk youth, to invest in them, to empower them, so that their future will be brighter than their past or their present. But Israel is unique in that there are always threats of war and terror which know no bounds. For children who come from homes that are not safe, sometimes the very scary reality of living in a community that's not safe is too much to bear. We are committed to turning orphans and at-risk youth into children of promise. We fund a variety of programs to help those most in need as widely as we can. We invite and encourage you to join us today so that we can ensure their brighter tomorrow. Please visit genesis123.co to find out more and to send your love and most generous donation today. John, thank you for that. Um, Gentlemen, I want to leave 
an open-ended question for either of you, both of you, uh, as we conclude. Um, it's a very broad topic. I think we've concluded that, okay, Americans don't vote largely based on foreign policy, that Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden, barring a cataclysmic event, whether it's legal or with uh, with their actual existence um, being alive, um, will be the candidates and uh, who, who they're uh, vice presidents is we a, a, a separate interesting topic, but how else? What else could go down in the coming months that will influence Israel's ability to carry out the war and influence the election that we haven't yet discussed? Well, it's a wide well, world well, full of terrible things that can always happen. Well, give me a good um, one. I don't know. You know, listen, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to play the black swan game. Um, okay. You know, it's like that's if my my mother, blessed memory, would say that that's bad luck. And, you know, that's not a good thing to do, to think of horrible things, because then you'll make them happen. Um, I don't know. I would say this. Um, there, There is any number of, you know, sort of bad things. I assume Iran and its terrorist allies are doing their worst at all times to 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 make the world a terrible place. And as we saw on October 7th of last year, sometimes they're able to to do that. Um I don't think of I can't think of anything much worse than that. But I you know I I, I think the things that will influence this election, uh, if I can sort of ground it in what is for me the real issue, the most important issue that we don't talk about enough as much as it does get talked about. And it is this broader element of you know this battle for western civilization and the uh, long march of progressives and their woke ideology of intersectionality and the diversity equity and inclusion woke catechism that they have imposed throughout academia the corporate world and now the government thanks to joe biden you know if you were to ask me what is the worst thing that joe biden did as president you know, I would easily answer, and as much as, you know, I talked about his foreign policy disasters and all that, and I would have criticisms of other things, it is his executive orders that put in place DEI um, committees and then woke commissars throughout the federal government, every agency and department. That is the real threat to Jews in this country. And um, in, in by extension, that is a threat to Israel and a threat to America in general. And you know, sometimes Jews, a lot of liberal Jews have woken up since October 7th to the threat from DEI, you know, the con- three university presidents' uh, testimony um, certainly brought it to their, in December, brought it to, to the front. But it's much bigger than the fate of those three individuals. It's about the fate of basically of Western civilization. And it's not just bad for Jews. Jews, in this case, are the canaries in the coal mine. Um, the real threat is to America itself. And that is the, that to me, it's, it's the issue I, I keep going back to. So I've, you know, used your open-ended question to do that. Oh, good. That is the key question facing this country. Not so much which, you know, elderly uh, white gentleman will be sworn in as president next year, but whether this terrible ideology, which uh, is taking a terrible toll on uh, a racial harmony in this country. It's empowering and granting a permission slip for anti-Semitism, um, whether we will start to roll back the tide on that. And that to me is the most, 
as much as obviously the safety and security of Israel is you know, uppermost in my mind at all times, that to me, DEI and the rolling back the woke tide is the most important question facing Americans. Thank you, Jonathan. John? I would agree with that uh, almost virtually 100%. I would just add, too, that I agree that uh, Jewish people are the canary in the coal mine on a lot of these policies, but uh, conservative Christians are right behind them because oh, we yeah. feel a real threat. And, you know, I I faced it when I was still actively practicing law. It, it came to the forefront in many places. So we have had a hundred years of a long, is, is what's called a long march through the institutions to set in place these various ideals that are now manifesting them, themselves through ESG and DEI and that type of thing. I just think that uh, we're, uh, whether you like the New Yorker magazine or not, they were talking last week about 10 conflicts in the Middle East that are converging possibly into a wider war. And I think that's the concern. We, of course, we have China, we have Russia uh, act, you know, causing problems in a lot of places. Iran is causing things. And I, I sit here as I'm looking at the news, I see Iran and, and uh, Raisi and Erdogan from Turkey are meeting today. And it, it's bothering me that Erdogan's been pretty quiet for the last three months. I, that's <laughs> That makes me very, very nervous uh, given his orientation. So I, I just think that there are so many different places in the world that can develop into a flashpoint. There are so many conflicts in so many places and geopolitical competition. And then you have these loons on the left that are shutting down energy and hydrocarbons. Like this is going to be a, a pan it's, it's absolute insanity. They think that they're going to make the world better that way. It's, you know, and so we just had a display of that at Davos last week and Jamie Dimon, I would recommend you go dig Jamie, Jamie Dimon's uh, interview out at CNBC. And I'm not necessarily a fan of Mr. Dimon, but he had very good comments about, you know, you, you people on the left, you Democrats, you need to understand that these are real people that you're complaining about and they're not that bad. Uh, and a, a lot of heads exploded. Some people said maybe Jamie Dimon should run for president. And my immediate comment was, I don't think he's old enough. I mean, you know, okay. he's, he still has all of his faculties about him. So I, you know, I don't know if Biden's going to make it all the way to the election. Uh, this is something that we've never seen before, uh, but there's an inertia in DC that is pushing forward these agendas. And uh, so it's, it's up to Trump, assuming he's the candidate to kind of stand up against them. Excellent. John, uh, John Haller, Jonathan Tobin. What an engaging conversation. There were many, many questions that we didn't answer directly. I tried to weave into uh, into the course of conversation, some not related to the specific issue, but really important topics. And I do want to ask everybody to be in touch, to email the questions. I hope I'll be able to save save them as a file and we can address them. And and maybe with, with the two of you gentlemen and or others uh, in the coming months to, to unpack this. Um, but our point, and I think, John, what you how you began to wrap up your points in terms of uh, conservative Christians being right behind uh, Jews in terms of uh, being at risk, if you will, in, in the United States um, is an important emphasis on on how we uh, what we're doing, what we're doing with Genesis one, two, three foundation. Um, and I want to encourage people to stay with us and, and continue to engage. Um, at this point, I'm inviting 
um, Arlene Samuels. Hopefully I can invite her to come on board. We're going to close out. Yep, here she goes. Uh, we're going to close out with a couple of announcements. And Arlene's going to close in a, with prayer. Let me see if I can turn on your, make you a co-host, Arlene. And that way we can see you as well. Um, and again, John and Jonathan, extraordinary. Thank you so much for your insight. Thank you. Thank you. Arlene, we see you. Hello, Jonathan. Jonathan, it's such a pleasure to be with such a distinguished trio. And I am really delighted to talk this for a few minutes about your wonderful initiative to provide jackets for the Israel Defense Forces who are already up on the northern border and certainly uh, preparing for the, the next steps to fight the the evil doing uh, that is taking place against Israel. Our Sunday school class at my church, um, I let them know about this wonderful issue uh, that the uh, Genesis 123 Foundation uh, began, and they joined in and purchased some of the jackets, and it was wonderful to read about your delivering them, and I, of course, sent it to the other members of our Sunday school class. And there are others that my husband and I contacted to let them know about your your wonderful initiative. Thank so thank you so much. And I hope that everyone will continue to purchase these jackets because that border may be cold. Oh dear. But militarily getting hot. And we better make sure that these brave, courageous uh, young IDF soldiers are warm. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you. I appreciate those words. Would you like to close us out in a in a prayer that's fitting? I neglected to mention that Arlene is not only a good friend, a colleague, uh, a tremendously talented writer, um, and goodness among the among uh, Christian Zionists, there's no one stronger. Thank you, Jonathan. It's my privilege to 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 end this wonderful session with prayer. God, our Father, I thank you for the strong ties that bind Jews and Christians together on behalf of the people and land that you created to bless our world. God, for us as Christians, it is a privilege to stand with Israel. It is our spiritual homeland to stand with Israel and your people, the Jews. We continue to ask for your mercies upon the hostages and their families, the courageous humanitarian Israel Defense Forces. We ask for you to provide your wisdom for Prime Minister Netanyahu, Israel's military leaders, and of course, all, all of the IDF and all of Israel. May Israel remain unified. Lord, may you also silence the Jew-hating voices and raise up massive numbers of us in the Christian and Jewish community to spread the facts about who Israel is, your land, your creation, your wonderful people, and that you are never going to let go of Israel. We thank you for your Love and your sovereignty and you to continue to strengthen all of us to oppose evil. Thank you. Thank you, Arlene. Uh, thank you, everyone, for participating. John and Jonathan, again, thank you for your insight, your time, 
and uh, we'll pray for good things in the future and 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 uh, inspiring conversations. God bless you all. This episode, as we do with all episodes, to give you an opportunity to share this conversation with other people who will find it of interest, we want to encourage you to go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and follow and like us. And when you comment and share the link to this program there, we will select one person at random every month to receive our new stunning book called Israel the Miracle. All you have to do is like, comment, and share the program, and we will pick one person at random. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, please pop in and thank them for helping make programs like this possible. And also special thanks to the Coyne family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This episode appropriately is sponsored with the prayer that all of the hostages will come home soon. They're not just hostage to Hamas, but to many politics, and that impacts the that's impacted by the election in the US and politics there. And we're praying that in all circumstances, they come home soon, all of them. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.